Well, good morning. It's morning. Oh, I know it's 11. You're the second service, but it is morning. Good morning. All right, good. Good to be with you. Uh, it's been four weeks uh, that I've been gone. Uh, we had our third baby. His name is Judd, Judd Daniel Raymond. And, uh, and so it's good to be back. This is one of my favorite things I get to do every week. Uh, when I was, I came to faith senior year of high school. Two months later, the president of the FCA, he was a friend of mine, uh, asked me to speak, and I got up and opened the scriptures and shared, and I just, I just loved it. I fell in love with it, been doing it um, ever since. And so, glad to be back, and today, actually, we start a new series in the Old Testament book called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Now, before we hop in, I just want to take a quick poll. How many of you have been a part of a church that went through the book of Ecclesiastes? Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Not many of you, and that, that's my guess. There's a reason for that. Ecclesiastes is arguably one of the oddest, most peculiar, controversial books in the entire Bible. In fact, it almost didn't make it into the canon. It's that odd, similar to Revelation. It almost didn't make it in. And so I want to begin by asking, why Ecclesiastes? For the next six weeks, Pastor John, why are we doing Ecclesiastes? Let me answer that by giving you the frame of this six-week series, and then we're going to get into the biblical text itself, okay? So let's start here. Let's start with something to agree upon. I think that we'd all agree that we're walking through some very heavy times right now, some very heavy times. I feel as though, and maybe you do as well, that every conversation that I have, or most of them, or most of the decisions that I make, are just kind of heavy. Do you know what I mean? Like figuring out COVID. It's like I've become a full-time researcher, scientist, you know, epidemiologist, trying to figure out how to go about COVID. Do I wear, how many masks do I wear? And where can I go? Where do I not go? And who do I trust? Which source of information do I trust? I, I've gone to uh, websites I've never gone to before, like the Department of Health and Human Services. I've read charts. I've been in so many conversations. If I have to talk about, <laughs> debate about this one more time, sometimes I just feel like I'm going to lose it. It's just such a heavy time, especially conversations with people you really love and respect, like maybe parents or siblings or spouse, and you have disagreeing opinions on this heavy time. It's just flat out heavy. Now, thankfully, I think as spring and summer are coming about, that there seemingly seems to be some kind of light at the end of this dark and difficult tunnel we've been in, and tragedy we've been in, suffering we've been in. But I believe that before rushing forward into really a new normal, we should all ask ourselves the same question. And the question I think we should ask is this. What has this heavy time done to you? What has it done to you? I know what it's done to the world. It's tragic. But what has this 13, 14 months, what have they done to you? How have they changed you? How have they affected you? And maybe a more peculiar, intuitive question for us as the church to to wrestle with together is this one. Are you coming out the other side of this heavier or lighter in Christ? You're coming out the other side of 
the pandemic. It's not over yet. Pray that we begin to move in that direction. But are you coming out the other side of it heavier, burdened more, or lighter in Christ? For example, I think maybe you could relate to some of this. Do, do you find yourself weighed down by some new things, some new burdens? Maybe for you, you feel like your life is weighed down by fear in a way that it wasn't 14 months ago. That you're more fearful. Your thoughts, your processes, your decision-making is more fearful than it was before. Well, what's coming next? And what if this happens? And what if that doesn't happen? Is the economy really gonna open up again? And what are we gonna do about this? And wh wh where am I gonna go for you college students? What am I gonna do after I graduate? Or should I stay in this major? Should I not? And our process and our thinking is just a little bit more fearful. Or maybe, maybe for you, I know for me, you're weighed down by cynicism. You got those friends, like those really chipper, cheery friends. They're like, no, nah, man, I really think it's coming to an end. Really think we can go on that trip. No, I really think the economy's gonna open up. You know, I read this article and this, 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 and, and I read five other articles that disagreed with your article, but I really, I really think that it's just gonna get better. And you find yourself just being cynical. I've heard that before. I know those are signs of hope, but I've heard that before. You're just, you're just a little more cynical. Or maybe you're weighed down by distrust. How do we know how to work through all this information, not just on the pandemic, but on different social justice issues that are happening in our world? How do we know how to sift through all that, much less just go about my life? I mean, y'all have three kids. I'm just trying to keep my, my house in order. And my wife happy with me and the kids. I mean, it's just, that's a full-time job, much less trying to lead the church, much less just trying to go about life and being a good neighbor. And I find myself being distrusting of this news outlet or that opinion, and I just don't know where to turn. Maybe it's confusion is weighing you down, certain level of angst, insecurity. Maybe it's just doubt. Maybe you're in a faith crisis. All of it, I would sum up, with this word, heaviness. It's just a heavy time. Now I want you to remember something. Jesus has these famous words. He famously said in Matthew's gospel that I want to look at. He said that following him in his kingdom should be light, not heavy. Light, the opposite of heavy. Take a look. You can turn there if you want. You can look at the screen. Matthew 11. Picking up in verse 27. Jesus speaking, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And Jesus says this, come to me, all who, are la all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He goes on, take my yoke upon you. Yoke would have been his teaching, his philosophy, his approach, his way. And learn from me, Jesus says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is what Jesus characterizes. If you asked him to describe how should my life look different if I'm gonna get in relationship with you and trust you and follow you and listen to your voice and read your scriptures and be totally 
formed and influenced by you, Jesus, this historical figure, how should my life look different? He says, it should become lighter. Dallas Willard, great Christian philosopher, said, Jesus was the most relaxed person that ever walked the planet. His life was light. Why? Because Jesus knew better than anyone else how much God the Father loved him and was in control. That he didn't have to be burdened by fear or cynicism or distrust. He says it should be light. Here's what I want to do. Just like the pandemic has brought up all of these questions of life's problems, Ecclesiastes does kind of a similar thing. It's going to bring up some of life's heavy problems like suffering and uncertainty and all those things. And it's going to offer us a springboard to let Jesus, not the government and not culture, but let Jesus really speak in and answer these questions of life. Because I believe the world is starving for real answers right now. And more than answers, I think a living witness of lightness, of a people who in the midst of the dark storm are not heavy with confusion and despair, but are light with wisdom and hope. And so here's what I wanna do, simply said, is I wanna give Christ six weeks to have the last word in the pandemic, to take life's problems to him and to see what he has to say about them. That is our why behind Ecclesiastes. Does that make sense? Can I get a head now? I think it's gonna be a fascinating, helpful, hopefully transformative journey. And I'm taking it with you. I go first. I go study, read, think, pray, realize I'm not that smart, all those things. Then I come here and I share what I find. And then we have a conversation in our missional communities and friend groups and all that stuff. So that's what we're gonna do. It's gonna be a good time. Okay? So without further ado, let's go to Ecclesiastes and let's pick it up. Ecclesiastes, you're gonna find it Old Testament, First Testament. It's sandwiched between Proverbs and Song of Songs. Feel free to use your table of contents or thumb through your smartphone, Ecclesiastes. We'll pick up chapter one, verse one. It reads this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Let's pause there. Let me give you the context. There are three voices at play in Ecclesiastes, if we could go to that screen. Three voices at play. There they are. The Holy Spirit, the author of Ecclesiastes himself, and then the preacher that he introduces. So Holy Spirit, we believe the Ecclesiastes, like the other books in the canon, are inspired by the Spirit, authorized by the Spirit. And then what we believe is what we see here is that the author, right there in verse one, take a look, look at your Bible. Verse one, he introduces the preacher. He says, hey, here are the words of the preacher. And then verse two, the preacher speaks up. Now the preacher, in the Hebrew, the name is, oh, it's so hard to say, Quileleth. That's why I'm not saying it. Quileleth. Some commentators uh, abbreviate it to Q, 
but I figured to use the term Q might not be the most helpful term uh, right now. So I'm not going to say Q says such and such because that would leave you confused. So the preacher. The preacher is going to take 12 chapters to give his teaching. And then the author is going to come back at the very end, chapter 12, and it's going to give the conclusion. It's going to kind of process it with you and give the conclusion of the teaching. Now, here's what you need to know about the preacher. He goes about teaching in a very unconventional way. I know this is our 11 o'clock service, so we have a decent amount of college students um, here. Do you have that professor that goes about teaching in an unconventional way? Sometimes he's like, he or she is so geared up to teach that it's, it's just a little too much. So, okay, just give me the notes. Let me take the test. Let's get moving, right? But just those brilliant professors, teachers, like the preacher, who get you to actually think and not just write notes. I love those. I studied philosophy when I was in school, and so it was a lot of that. It was, it was fantastic. That's how the preacher works. He is kind of like a wrecking ball of deconstruction, tearing down all of our assumptions and beliefs about life. It's going to be quite a course that we're going to take, okay? And so I want to ask this and tell you, what does he mainly talk about? What's the preacher's main theme in Ecclesiastes? It's something called Hevel. Hevel. We could bring that to the screen. H-E-V-E-L. It's a Hebrew word, Hevel. And it's brilliant. What you find right here in the second verse that we looked at, is he talks about it. That word vanity is the English translation of the Hebrew word Hevel. So the actual word, Hevel. So he says, Hevel of Hevels, says the preacher. Hevel of Hevels. All is Hevel. And he goes on to verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is hevel and a striving after wind. Hevel's the main idea in the book. It's going to appear 38 times in Ecclesiastes. He can't stop talking about it. So let's ask, what's hevel? It's really interesting. Hevel refers to mist or to smoke or to vapor, and it's communicating life's fleeting nature. Life has a fleeting nature. That life is a mystery. It's a paradox at times. You kind of know it. Like as soon as you figure it out, it seems to slip through your fingers like vapor, right? You get this insight about life like six months ago and you're like, man, I think I figured it out. Who I am and what, how the world works, what I'm supposed to do. Six months later, something happens or doesn't happen and that understanding seems to kind of just slip through your fingers like mist. This is heaven. This is how it works. For example, there's so much goodness in life. You know, a sunny day, a good friendship, uh, G-Day. Who won, by the way? I'm talking about Georgia. You go to UGA. This is the University of Georgia. Who won the football game? Red or red? Okay, great. Georgia won is really the, that's a trick question. Great, great thing. G-Day, blessing from God, right? Something fun to, to enjoy. Right? There's so much goodness in life, but suddenly tragedy hits and life's goodness seems to fly away like smoke, like heaven. Life's unpredictable. It's unable to be controlled. It's, it's heaven. And we all try to control it. We try and contain it at times and bend it and hack life, life hacks, and ultimately make it safe from suffering. But the preacher says that this anxious pursuit is hevel. 
Let me explain it in this way. Have you heard of this new gospel? There's this new gospel out there. I know what you're thinking. You're a good Christian. You're saying, John, there's only one gospel. What are you talking about? Gospel of Jesus. Well, there's another one. There's two. It's called the gospel of tech, like technology, the gospel of tech. And it's sweeping the nation, and it's evangelizing whole communities and cities, the gospel of tech. And here's how it goes. The gospel of tech promises to get rid of all the hevel in your life by giving us a life of complete customizable comfort, absent from all suffering. It promises you complete control of every little detail of your life. Put it this way, that you can build this safe material castle around you of gadgets and supplements and food deliveries and surveillances and non-social social media and conveniences and home devices and entertainments and just enough of safe, distant isolation. You can build a castle. You can control your entire life and surroundings by the swipe of your finger on your phone. You can get rid of all heaven, all potential threats of loss or lack or uncertainty. You can be in control. What the preacher's gonna tell you is that the key is not running from heaven. It's not trying to erase it. You can't. It's actually to accept it, to accept heaven. Acknowledging, here's how it works, that your life is outside your absolute control and care. Rather, it's in God's absolute control and care. I want to pause here, and I just, I just want to get honest and introspective for a second. Why do we do this? Why do we grip our lives so tightly? Have you noticed this? It's kind of like we all lived with, live with this low-level frequency of angst. And in certain seasons and circumstances, it kind of rises and then it falls. But there seems to be this kind of low pitch of angst that drives our lives. Why do we do this? To answer that, we all need to remember something. And this really struck me this week. It's something very, very important about our ancestors that's really easy to forget. Here it is. We must remember that the biblical and human story, the beginning of everything, began with a failed human attempt to become God. The garden? I'm gonna say it again. At the beginning of the human story of human civilization began with a failed human attempt, a coup, to become God. I know you've read it, but let me show it to you. Turn back. Go to Genesis. Go to the beginning. Genesis 3. One of the main points of the garden account is... It's not only that it happened in some kind of form or fashion, but that it still happens today. All of us. 
do this. Just trust God. So pick up in chapter three, verse, verse three. Eve, the woman, is talking to the serpent, the personification of evil, Satan. And she responds to him and says, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said back to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. When I hear, like, you gotta have fun with the Bible, okay? Or you won't read it. Like, you'll set your goal. I'm gonna get up every morning at six with coffee. I'm gonna read my Bible. You know, you just you gotta have fun with it. It's an interactive text. Treat it like a movie. When I see that scene, I think of the, the serpent satanic figure having kind of that like rye southern accent I, I don't you might not this might not be, just uh, how does it go he says um, you will not surely die do you hear that no I'll, I'll move on all right put an accent to it make it more interesting so he says this he says no you can become like God Friends, what we need to understand, it's so insightful to understand ourselves today, is that from the very beginning, man has tried to rob God's temple and steal his divinity, to break in and steal God's throne by placing ourselves at the center of the universe and not God. We all do this. We're all guilty. And for some reason, I still can't figure it out. I know we have that theological term sin, and that's helpful. It certainly is what it is. For some reason, we distrust God. And in our fear and angst, we want to assume total control and total choices and total security and total pleasure and total sovereignty. And tech says that now that's possible. But it's an empty promise. No matter how big we build the material castle around our lives and our families for a sense of sovereignty, security, and safety, and control, we will never totally control our lives free from threats, unknowns, and suffering. We just won't get rid of all the heaven. And we know this. We're not fooled by this. We know this. Just ask the people in the room who their life was going along. And one day, a Monday, a Tuesday, a Sunday, all of a sudden their life stopped with a sudden tragedy. Someone died. Someone got in a car accident. Someone came down with cancer. Someone lost the job. Someone lost the internship. Someone didn't do good at the interview. And life just slipped through their fingers. You see, I love Jesus, which I know I get paid to say that, right? I mean, you know, it's like, duh, shouldn't you love Jesus? I love Jesus. I love Jesus for all kinds of reasons. I mean, the big ones, like he's my savior and, and he's God in human form and all those. But I love Jesus because he's brilliant. He's such a great teacher of life. And what Jesus has the uncanny ability to do is to diagnose the problem and then give the solution in like two sentences. I want to show it to you. He talks about everything we're talking about right now. He diagnoses it brilliantly in the Sermon on the Mount. If we could go there, 
to Matthew 6. He says this, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he puts it in black and white terms, you cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Is Jesus anti-money? Of course not. But he says you cannot serve God and money. What does he mean there? He means this. If you're devoted to God and you accept that God is gonna ultimately care for and control and move your life forward, not absent from suffering, but move it forward in his will and in his kingdom. What this is saying, what Jesus is saying is if you don't believe that and live in that, then you gotta become God and you gotta do God's job. And you got to protect your life and push it forward and orchestrate circumstances and get your foot in the door and create and build your life. I remember I graduated from college. I spent my whole life dreaming about what I was going to do. I woke up that morning. I was supposed to do something. I was terrified. And I'm not usually terrified because I thought I had to be God and create my future. And he's saying, so if you're not going to be devoted to God and let God be God to you, then you need to become God. And you know what? You need a heck of a lot of resources to do that. You better make a lot of money. Because God's the most resourceful entity in the universe. He's got more resource to care and control and push your life forward than you'll ever have. But if you don't live in that reality, man, you are going to be anxious to make tons of money and build your castle as big as you can. Now, again, the scriptures say it's not money that's evil. It says it's the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus, the kingdom's not anti-money. I've heard a great Christian maxim. Make as much money as you can so you can save as much as you can so you can give as much as you can. Amen. Jesus is talking about something different. He goes on. If we go back to Matthew, diagnoses the problem and he gives his prescription. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing. Jesus says that this ambition and drive toward building a safe castle around you is actually a symptom of something deeper, anxiety. I'm gonna put it black and white. American consumerism is American anxiety. It's heaviness. It's living outside of the care of God's kingdom Listen to this, it's living as though God doesn't exist, so you need to become him and protect yourself. And so we're driven by this angst to try and play God. Jesus tells us that instead of anxiously seeking all of these things, building your castle, he says, rather seek something greater. He goes on in that passage, he says, seek the kingdom of God first and God's righteousness. In so many words, seek the highest good that's in front of you. Put every ounce of your God-given energy and intelligence and drive and ambition there. And then, my friends, you will align your life to God's will. And trust me, all the things you need will effortlessly be added and attracted to your life. He ends this section by saying, don't be burdened and heavy with tomorrow. Rather, live lightly in the kingdom today. Now, isn't that such a different and beautiful vision for our lives, for your week, for your Monday? 
I believe it is. And this is our shared goal. For the next six weeks in Ecclesiastes, we're going to talk about these kinds of things. If we can bring that slide to the screen, I want to end by giving you a bit of a preview of what's to come. Our method and our map. Here's our method, simply, simply shown. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes. We're going to take some of life's problems and paradoxes that the pandemic has kind of brought up for us, and then we're going to jump over to the Gospels and let Jesus begin to answer them. Secondly, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to talk about. If we can go to our map. We're going to talk about the problem of suffering, about faith crisis. If you haven't gone through it, you will go through it. Consumerism. I mean, what do we do with, I, I still need to make money, and I still like these things. I live in a house. I have a family. You know, my kids are going to need a car one day. How do we do that in a kingdom way? Death. We all will die. Well, what does Jesus have to say about that? And what about purpose? How, how am I supposed to spend my energy and my life and my thoughts? What am I to be doing? We're going to get into all those things and go from Ecclesiastes to the Gospels. And here's my hope, that we would start a community-wide conversation. You would talk about these things in your MCs, in your friend groups, in, in marriages, in families. My hope is that a living witness of lightness in the midst of a heavy time would begin to come up. And people, neighbors that are burdened, classmates, colleagues, would begin to see that you're walking with a different kind of hope and wisdom and salt and light. Put simply, friends, my goal is to basically let Jesus have the last word in this pandemic, to really let him speak and for us to listen and for us to come out of it different, lighter in Christ. So if our volunteer team would come down and begin to hand out the communion elements, and if our band would come to the stage, we want to transition and uh, go to the Lord's table and partake of communion in just a moment. So we're going to pass out the elements as we transition to that. As we know, on that night, it was Passover. Jesus was with his disciples, as they did every year, celebrating the Passover, and he took the bread, and the gospels say he, he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, this is my body broken for you, and then he went on, and he took the cup, and he gave thanks to the Father, it says, and he gave it to the disciples, and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant that's shed for you and for all, for the forgiveness of sins. Later on, the next day, he would go to the cross and he would take on all the sin of the world, the shadow side of humanity. And just as the lamb was sacrificed at Passover, he would sacrifice himself for the sins of the world so that he could rise and give us new life in his kingdom and by his spirit so that we could overcome these things that we're talking about in this series by his grace and his power, not ours. And so this morning, Lord, we pray, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come upon these elements and would transform them into genuine spiritual food and drink. That we would come back to you, Jesus, as our source. God, that you would nourish us for the week ahead, that we might walk lightly in your kingdom and we might love extravagantly as you do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may take the body and blood. And let's worship together.